next several weeks uh, using this book here, How to Pray, by Pete Grieg as our companion guide to this series. Uh, all of our copies sold out, so we've ordered some more, so we'll have some more. Or just go on Amazon or wherever, uh, whatever, you know, you like to order books. And uh, I just really recommend How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people. And you guys, all of you are normal here, so you all qualify. Um, but... Yeah, so let's let's jump in. Now, many of you know that uh, I started out my journey in ministry as a youth pastor. And uh, honestly, some of my most enjoyable years in ministry came serving and working with teenagers. Teenagers are the best, especially when you don't have to parent them. Amen? I have always said that the greatest gift that a, a teenager could ever give you is when they open their hearts to you and allow you to speak into their life in, in some of the most pivotal and formative times of their life. And one of the things that I've been learning about, you know, with Pastor Sam in the office and chatting with him and just hearing about what ministering to teenagers is like today and contrasting it with my own time in ministry, which is not even that long ago. It was like 10 years ago. Um, but it's how different our world has become for young people, and it hasn't gotten easier. And while we'll all admit that adolescence is a difficult time, it's a challenging season regardless of when you were born, right now I would argue that it, it has never been a more difficult time to be a young person, at least emotionally or, or mentally uh, and the emerging data that is coming in from this generation is helping to demonstrate this. And last year, uh, Kara Powell, uh, who is the executive director of Fuller Youth Institute, she wrote a book uh, for parents and youth leaders titled, Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. And in this book, she presents this, this argument that one of the primary reasons why young people, teenagers specifically, are struggling so much today is that there is a failure that is coming from above to provide them with an adequate answer to life's, three of life's biggest questions. And that these three biggest questions, having an adequate answer is imperative to overcoming the challenges of adolescents and reaching their God-given potential. And those questions are, number one, who am I? Who am I? And number two, where do I fit? Where do I fit in this world? And number three, what difference can I make? Three simple questions, but three crucial, important questions. Wouldn't you agree that whether you're 16 or you're 60, you need to know the answers to those questions? Who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? Well, Interestingly, in 1647, let's go a long ways away ago, uh, the Westminster Catechism asked these questions, just but asked them in a different way. And at the very beginning of this catechism is the question, what is the chief end of man? You know, what is the meaning of life? What reason do I have to be here on earth? And the question is presented and answered in the following way, that man or woman's chief end on earth is to A, glorify God, and B, enjoy him forever. That as Christians, we, it is our belief that our existence here on earth, our meaning, our purpose on earth is to glorify God and to enjoy his presence forevermore. Do you believe that today? And what if there was a way for you and I to glorify God and to enjoy his presence, and that God has given us a gift, 
a gift to awaken our soul to the goodness and mercy of our God. And, and truthfully, the answer is, is that God has given us this gift, and that gift is prayer. You know, prayer is a gift, a gift that God gives us to awaken our sleepy souls. Prayer awakens our soul to the glorious splendor of his majesty, to proclaim, you know, the power of his mighty deeds, to meditate on his wondrous works. And I believe that prayer is one of the most foundational ways that we fulfill that primary purpose on earth, to glorify God, to enjoy his presence forevermore. You see, prayer is far more than asking God to do what we need God to do. But prayer is awakening our souls to rejoice, to worship, to adore God, and to be in the presence of an almighty God. Like Paul said to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. You know, when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, it is the people of God who need to answer, let us pray. Let us sing to God. Let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. And so having taken the time to pause in prayer, as we looked at last week, that the first letter in our, in our prayer acronym, in P, stands for pause, the next thing that we must do is rejoice or worship or adore. That when we stop to pray and when we get on our knees before a holy God, we don't rush ahead to tell God all the things that we need God to do. But we take the time to worship God for who he is and what God has done. You see, if our goal is not just simply to pray, but to pray well, when you come into the Lord's presence to pray, come with an awe and reverence for his holy name. Come and trust that God already knows everything that you could ever need before you would even ask. And so, so praying well is knowing that because God is your provider, that God already knows everything that I need. And so what that does is it frees me up to lift my hands and to worship, to get on my knees and adore him and to give thanks to him for, for what he's done. And so while there are some parts of prayer that I think are flexible, last week we talked about how prayer is like, kind of like dancing, you know, learning the dance steps. It's not, it, rather than seeing prayers like studying law and memorizing different theories, it's like learning how to dance. There are some parts of prayer that are interpretive and open to, to creative interpretation, like pausing. You don't have to do it at the beginning, even though the acronym is at the beginning, P. You don't have to, you can do it at the end. But when it comes to praying well, in my experience, you need to begin your time of prayer with worship. I think that worship or rejoicing or adoration, we cannot afford to be as flexible as we are with other things. Now, that doesn't mean that in crisis, like if you're drowning in a river, you don't have to like spend 15 minutes worshiping God in the river while you're, you could pray, God help me, I'm going to die. You know, if you're in an emergency situation, you know, you, you could ask God for help. Well, talking about praying well in terms of a discipline, in terms of a, a practice, we need to begin our time of prayer with worship, with rejoicing. And let me tell you why. Pete Greek says it this way, that the way we view God affects 
everything about everything. The way we view God affects everything about everything. Or to quote an even greater theologian, St. Augustine says that when what we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, your perception of God will impact, will influence how you pray. You know, which, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's one of the most important questions that you and I can ever know is what is God like? I think one of the most important things as parents, for those of you with kids, the most important task that you have as a parent is to teach your children the answer to the question, what is God like? Because there's no coincidence that that the enemy, the very first thing that the enemy is going to attack is your perception of God. And there's no coincidence that right now it seems like our children, our young people, you know, that is where the primary attack is, that God is not like this or God is not like that. So if you think God dislikes you, that's going to affect how you, you know, you pray. You're going to feel like you need to perform. If you think that God's always disliking you or is upset with you. If you think God is disappointed in you, it's going to produce shame. If you think God is angry or has let you down, you're going to respond to him with anger or maybe apathy, like, who cares? Your perception of God will impact how you pray. The way we view God affects everything about everything. And so it should be no coincidence that that to us, the opening words of the Lord's Prayer are the words that are meant to shape our perception of who God is. Matthew chapter 6, 9 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he could have used any number of words to describe who God is and what God is like, yet he chose a word that was completely unique and foreign to their understanding of who God is, and that is Father. You know, Scripture, the Old Testament specifically, occasionally would compare God to being like a father, but it was always done in a, in a manner that was informal or indirect, or sorry, formal or direct, indirect. Let's say that God being compared to a father, wouldn't give you warm and fuzzy feelings of a dad throwing the ball around with his son in the heart. Yet Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He says, our father, or Abba, which is the most personal and intimate word in the Hebrew language to, to describe what a father is and what a father is like. It is the only, the English equivalent would be to say daddy or papa. You know, a child, specifically young children, will say daddy, 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 daddy. You know, if I in my 30s were to say to my father, daddy, he might look at me with cross eyes and be like, what did you just say? Papa, papa. Yet Jesus was inviting his disciples to step into a level of intimacy with God that they did not know was possible. And this is why God created you. He created you with a purpose, with meaning. It wasn't an accident. You weren't an accident. God had a very purpose in mind when he created you. With all the infinite, you know, calculations and and genetic, you know, possibilities. So all those possibilities he had you in mind. And the reason why is that so you could enjoy his presence forever. And not only that, that God could enjoy you as well. 
Here's something that some of you might find hard to believe. God not only loves you, but he actually likes you. God enjoys your presence. You know, I always thought it would be kind of fun to have an identical twin. You know, have you ever like, I thought, you know, it'd be so cool to have like an identical twin. People with identical twins are awesome. And because they like each other so much, which is kind of funny because it's kind of like liking yourself, right? It's like this person is basically you. And I always wondered if I had an identical twin, would I find them funny? You know, like, you're hilarious. You are the funniest person I know. Or you're the coolest person I know. I love everything that you're into. You're awesome. You know, God likes you. He finds your sense of humor to be funny. Think about that. He takes great interest in your deepest desires. He is invested in seeing you succeed in whatever it is that you set out to do, whether it's that your marriage or your goal to be a good parent or starting that, that business. Why? Because he's your dad. And that's what dads are supposed to do. Now, Zephaniah 3.17 speaks of God in this, in this manner, and I think it just gives you a picture of, of what God is like. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Isn't that amazing that God rejoices over you? And it's not in a manner that will turn us into entitled you know, spoiled, self-centered children. You know, when my son scored his first touchdown in football, I didn't run up to him and be like, son, you are so much better than everybody else on your team. Son, you're going right to the NFL. No, it was, son, no, I'm proud of you. Son, you did a great job. Way to go. God, your father loves you so much. Pete Greek says it this way, God wants to bless you. He is lovingly attentive to your needs, always pleased to see you, predisposed to answer the cries of your hearts. And until we can accept our identity that God is our Father and that we are his children, unconditionally loved and accepted, we just won't be able to pray well. To pray well, remember, we don't just want to pray. We want to pray well. We, we begins by accepting and believing that you have a perfect father. And even if you didn't have a, a perfect earthly father, th father, that you have a perfect heavenly father. Now, I know some, some here today have not had great earthly fathers. And I know, and I've had experience with people who struggle to pray in this manner, that our father to see God as a, a good father. And it's okay to acknowledge that. And I know that it takes time to pray to God in, in such a manner as that. But it's important to remember that we are praying to our Father in heaven to highlight the important truth that God is not like our earthly father. We, who have, we have fathers who are not perfect, who may have been absent, who maybe had good intentions, but fell short because they just couldn't overcome their own struggles. You don't want to pray to a father on earth. You want to pray to a father in heaven. Because if your father is in heaven, it means that your heavenly father is perfect in every way. Perfect in power and perfect in grace. 
perfect in love, but also perfect in truth. And so when we pray, we can't just adore God for who we want him to be. We can't just make up this image of who God is in our mind based on our own subjective belief of who we want to be, you know, who we want God to be. You know, I can be filled with all awe and wonder and come into God's presence and rejoice in the Lord. But if my rejoicing in God is rooted in a lie or a false perception based on my own desires or my own hurts or whatnot, that's not sort of the worship the Father is looking for. The worship the Father is looking for is those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, St. Francis of Assisi says that all who adore God must adore him in a spirit of truth. And so to pray well, I pray to my Father in heaven, but I also need to remember that when I pray, I need to keep his name holy. I pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Which means to keep his name holy. Or to honor his holiness. Let us never forget that the God we serve is a holy God. The God that we serve is a holy God. Yes, he is a personal and loving God. And through him, he has placed us in proximity to himself. But he is also a God who is holy and higher than we could ever possibly fathom. You know, I once asked my theology professor, what does God have a chief attribute and what is his chief attribute? You know, is, it, is God's chief attribute love? Or is his chief attribute holiness? And the theology professor answered, yes. You know, when Isaiah had a vision of the Lord's glory, the glory of the Lord, he said, woe is me, for I am ruined. For I have unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. You know, we sing songs sometimes in church like, show us your glory. And it's great. It's important. And I, I think it's good to say, you know, God, show us your glory. But we need to also remember times in the Bible, like Moses said, show us your glory. And the Lord said, if I show you my glory, you're going to be dead. So what you want to do is if you want a taste of my glory, go hide behind that rock and I'll cover you with my hand and I'll show you just my back and that'll be enough. For if I show you my face, you'll be dead. <laughs> and I'm not trying to scare anyone or to be hyperbolic, but to convey the reality of what God's word says about God's holiness. You know, I know culturally the pendulum always swings. You know, it swings and we're seeing culture swing over the last years. We've seen it swing very hard, like left wing. And now we're seeing, you know, the, the right side trying to pull the pendulum back. And I think it's good and healthy that the pendulum does swing. And, you know, some of you will remember a time, you know, in, in Christian culture when God's whole, the idea of holiness was so overpowering and so overwhelming in, you know, the church. It was so overemphasized that some of you may have came to equate God. God, incidentally, with being unloving or not being compassionate. You know, God being holy was a list of rules you can't do or things you can do. And I, I spoke to two people recently, you know, through my involvement uh, in, on the, the football team that I coach with. Two people who said that they grew up in the church, but they were kicked out of the church because of, of something they did when they messed up. 
and, and they're not serving the Lord today, and they're not, you know, they don't have a relationship with God because of an experience that they messed up and they were kicked out. And I, and I was thinking to myself, if you can't screw up in the church, if you can't mess up in the church, where else on earth is it safe to mess up? The church should be the safest place on earth for a person to mess up and find grace and redemption and restoration. And so the pendulum needed to swing back towards the emphasis of God's love, and it did. But like things tend to do, it kept swinging so far and far that it meant that a God of love could not be also a God of justice. And that God, that God is being a holy God demanding justice when his commands were transgressed was, a, was an offensible idea. You know, our concept of holiness is completely foreign to the culture that we live in today. The idea that there is a, a God who is set apart and has called us as a people to be set apart. You know, in a world where subjective truth is just live out what you feels good to you and, and what is true to you, that's an offensive idea. But it's a dangerous idea to believe in. Because both are equally dangerous. A God who's unloving, but also a God who's not holy. And so on one hand, there may be some of you today who are struggling to grasp the God of love. Seeing God as a father is, is a hard thing to do. And then there are some here uh, today, maybe you struggle to grasp the God of holiness. Keeping his name holy. And so we pray, hallowed be your name, not to make God holy because God is already holy, but we pray, hallowed be your name, to honor God's holiness in every part of our life. We pray, to pray well is wanting in prayer to follow God and his instructions to his people as it, says, as it laid out in Leviticus 19 verse 2. You must be holy, God says. Because I, the Lord your God, am holy. You must be holy. Because I am holy. And so there's one relationship that we cannot afford to allow, you know, familiarity to breed contempt. And it is with our relationship with God. And so that is why we rejoice in prayer. That is why we worship, we adore God, so that never, ever, 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 ever we allow in our spirit to grow a spirit of contempt or a spirit of apathy to be breaded in our soul. Because the moment that you think you have God figured out, boy, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. You know, God in his love is a personal God, but God in his holiness is an untamable God. You know, one of the reasons why I've always been fond of uh, C.S. Lewis's work, The Chronicles of Narnia, is his portrayal of Christianity in, through fictional characters. You know, none greater than the, the great lion Aslan. And if you've got kids at home, I encourage you to read these books with them. They're just, they're wonderful works of fiction. But, you know, Aslan is this lion who is large and terrifying, yet equally magnificent and wise. And it's interesting that throughout the books, if you've read the books, you know, he appears to different people in different sizes, yet he always himself never seems to change. See what the author is doing. And the more and more the characters grow in wisdom, and the more and more they grow in character, the more they're able to perceive his greatness. You see, 
the, the God of love and the God of holiness is not these two different, like, uh, opposite ends. In fact, the more you grow in love for God, the more you seem to perceive his love, the more you will also be able to perceive his holiness. You know, they're not two opposite things. The more you grasp his love, the more you'll grasp his holiness. And so in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the beaver, who is the character, says this of Aslan. He says, he'll be coming and going. One day you'll see him, and another you won't. He doesn't like being tied down. And of course, he has other countries to attend to. It's quite all right. He'll often drop in, only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. Our God is a holy God. And our human obligation to him is to keep his name holy. That is, above all all else, your one command, your one duty to him. Keep his name holy by keeping yourself holy and blameless. You know, ancient cultures have always tried to appease the gods, thinking that by offering sacrifices and giving gifts, that they could tame the gods. You know, that they could bend the gods will to, uh, wish the God's power towards their will or to bend it towards their wishes. But as Psalm 51, 16 to 17 says, God does not delight in sacrifice or we would give it. And he will not be pleased with the burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And so praying well begins by coming into the presence of a holy God with a broken and contrite spirit. Like the parable that Jesus told of a sinner who was on their knees, could not even look up to the heavens, but just beat their chest and said, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. You know, I come into his presence, and while there's so much on my mind, there's so much that I want to say to him, before I say anything at all, I acknowledge, God, you are the creator of the the, uh, heavens and the earth. God, you are almighty. God, you are to be lifted high. You are a holy God. You are an awesome God. I acknowledge that you are a creator, that you are higher And above all, all, but I am also more sinful and flawed than I ever could dare imagine. But I'm equally as loved and accepted than I could ever dare hope. What does it look like to pray our Father in heaven? It is to exalt him, to proclaim him, to proclaim who he is according to who he says he is in his word. We don't proclaim his and adore him based off our own subjective thoughts. We proclaim who he is based off who he reveals himself to be in his word. You know, I would just encourage you, come to Zoom prayer on Tuesdays. Come see me. I'll give you, I'll give you my email. We'll get you hooked up. Come to Sunday morning prayer, 8 o'clock. You will hear people who pray well, they will exalt God. They will proclaim God. You know, one of the reasons, Ron, I'm going to signal you out wherever you are. I love to listen to Ron pray. Because when Ron prays, before he ever prays for anything, he takes a time to just say, God, this is who you are. And it's not as if God doesn't know. But really? You think I'm that? No, no, we don't exalt God so that we surprise God. We're like, you're that. No, he already knows. We say it so that we're reminded. 
God, you are holy. God, you are awesome. God, you are love. You, God, you are things. We are praying that, but we are also forming ourselves to know that is who God is. That is what God is like. And what does it pray to pray? Hallowed be your name. It is equally to come into God's presence and to practice the discipline of confession. God, I am a sinner. God, I need to, I need to repent. God, search me and know me and reveal anything in me that you find not pleasing to you. So if you want to pray well today, and I believe that anyone here today who loves God wants to pray well, remember those first two letters. P, pause, R, rejoice. In fact, all you need are those two letters to pray well. Yeah, we can ask. We'll, we'll talk about it next week. We're going to talk about asking God. But if you only have time to do one thing in prayer, let it be this. Rejoice. Worship. Adore. Why? Because God already knows everything that you need. He knows them all. And next week, though, we're going to talk about, or not next week, next week, Mother's Day, the week after, we're going to talk about why it's still important to ask God. Even though God already knows everything you need, you should still ask Him. The Bible talks about that. Jesus will talk about that. You should still ask God, even though He knows all that you need. Because it's not as if, like, you pray and you're like, you, oh, I forgot to tell God that one thing. Now it's never going to, God's never going to answer my prayer. I forgot to tell Him. No, He knows. He already knows. But in prayer, we come into the presence of, a, of a, a loving and holy God, and we don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow worries about itself. We come into the presence of a holy God, and we are present before God today. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will rejoice and be glad in this day. So would you stand to your feet? And let's just take a moment to rejoice. And we're going to, uh, as we dismiss, we're going to invite the prayer team up and we are going to ask God and believe for needs in prayer. But right now in this time of prayer, I don't want to ask for anything other than just I want to rejoice in the Lord. So would you just take a moment with me just to rejoice Lord, we rejoice in the Lord always, and we will say it again, we will rejoice. God, there's so much, so many reasons, Lord, that we can just worship you today and celebrate your name. Lord, there are so many reasons. Just like the Gospel of John says, there are so many more stories of Jesus' life that they're too numerous to even be included in this book. That is the story of our life, that there are so many examples of your goodness in our life, of your provision, of your wondrous workings. There are too numerous to list. We don't even, we can't even try to name them all. Lord, you are too indescribable for words, yet words are all that we have as human beings. So we will bring you words of adoration. 
we will bring you words of rejoicing, Lord, and we rejoice in who you are, Lord. We rejoice not in, a, in an image of who we want you to be or who we think you should be, but Lord, we rejoice today in, in the God that is revealed to us in your word. Lord, we want to worship you today in a spirit of truth, Lord, and so I pray, God, that we all have a hunger, Lord, for your word so that we can get to know who you are, Lord, so that we can answer that question, what is God like? Lord, we, you are worthy of our praise. The psalmist says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You are so great, Lord. You are a holy God, and we just want to stand in reverence, Lord, of your holiness, Lord, and at the same time recognize, Lord, that we have been unfaithful in keeping that commandment, Lord, to be holy as you are holy, Lord, and we say we are sorry. We repent of that today, Lord, and it is our desire, Lord, to honor your name, Lord, to honor your holiness by living lives, Lord, that that just we keep our conduct pure before you, Lord. We guard our tongues, Lord. We guard what we say. We guard what our eyes see. We guard the places that we go, Lord. We, we stand watch, Lord, because you are a holy God. May we never blaspheme, Lord, your name by taking advantage of your love and your grace. Lord, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. But we also remember that you too are a holy God, that you are high and lifted up. Lord, make us holy, Lord. Purify us of unrighteousness. Cleanse us, Lord, of wickedness. We wanna be pure, Lord, before you today. Lord, we love you today. We thank you that you are our Father and that you care deeply for us. So we trust. We trust in you today for all that, all that we need, Lord. All that we need. We trust, Lord, because you are our Father and you will provide. Everything that we need, you will provide. And that frees us today to lift up our hands to you and say, you, we worship you, we adore you, we rejoice in you. We give thanks for you today. In your name we pray, amen.